Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, uh, the last number of weeks I have been exploring the life of Paul right? Uh, Paul the Apostle. We looked at him as uh, first of Saul of Tarsus. We looked at his life and his transformation on the road to Damascus. And uh, two weeks ago, we kind of stepped out of the chronological approach to his life and jumped backward to Acts chapter 16, where we see Paul in prison. Well, we see him imprisoned in Philippi for doing a good thing. Right? He casts out this uh, demon from this slave girl that was prophesying the future, and it incites the whole town, and him and Silas get thrown into prison, right? Unjustly, without trial, they get beaten, they get stripped, they get thrown into prison, and it's this really crazy scene, right? And it says about the midnight hour, they were praising, or they were praying and singing hymns to God. And then all of a sudden there's an earthquake, the prison doors open up, and it's this really dramatic scene that unfolds uh, inevitably, uh, kind of uh, at the end there, we see the, the jailer giving his life to the Lord, his whole family winds up being baptized, it's this celebratory occasion here, really powerful kind of dramatic picture that we see in the whole message that I preach centered around this theme of God always, 100% of the time, being worthy of our worship, even when our circumstances don't line up with that reality. Or, or, or uh, I added words to that sentence that didn't need to be there. Uh, <laughs> but the reality is... Uh, God is always worthy of our worship, even when the circumstances don't line up. Regardless of what is going on in your life currently, if it's a season of suffering, if it's a season of blessing, if everything's right or if everything's wrong, it's always an appropriate response to praise. And I talked about praise often serving as an avenue for breakthrough in your life. And uh, anyway, so we kind of walked through that, but... If I could uh, be honest with you for a moment, that's a, that's a kind of a strange thing to say, actually. I would hope that I'm always honest with you, especially when like I'm preaching and I'm behind the pulpit. Um, just in everyday life, like I, I would want to be honest, but uh, maybe being vulnerable for a moment might be a, a better way to say this. Um, I had a difficult uh, time putting into practice that sermon this last week. It'd be really nice as a pastor, as a preacher, if I didn't actually have to practice what I preach. If I could just kind of come up here and preach sermons and be like, yeah, do this, guys, but not actually have to do it myself. And I realize that's not how it works. But I realize a lot of the times, especially when I'm writing a sermon or I'm digging into the Word and I'm practicing to, uh, to prepare it, um, it happens to be uh, there's like this... Uh, it seems to always uh, come up in practical application for me personally, and it's almost like the Holy Spirit is consistently reminding me, it's like, well, you said this, but are you going to actually do it? And if I'm being vulnerable here for a moment, I did a very poor job of having the right attitude. I did a very poor job of praising, 
even when circumstances didn't line up this last week. And so, uh, one, uh, I, need to, I need to apologize to you as a congregation because I preached to you two weeks ago exactly what to do in each and every circumstance. And I failed to see that through this last week. And I, I want to share a little bit about that, if that's okay. I kind of want to walk us through some things. And I really strongly believe that for those of us here this morning, um, I believe the Lord has something special in store for us today. And so, um, but I've been extremely stressed out. Um, I, I know that uh, some of you guys ran into me like at the grocery store or had like conversations with me throughout the week and checking in on me, asking me how I'm doing. And uh, either I had the zombied kind of glazed over look where I was frazzled and my brain was dead or I was exhausted. Um, some of you I just straight up complained to and whined about stuff. And uh, I realize how uh, immature that actually looks from this perspective. But in the moment, um, I just wasn't present. Um, you know, my kids were sick. My, my family was exhausted. We had Thanksgiving to try to prepare for. And then the culmination and the real kind of uh, stress factor was in the downstairs uh, rebuilding that we're doing to try to get our facility uh, back in operation. And so uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, earlier in the year, our basement flooded. And we've been in this kind of back and forth with the insurance company trying to get them to pay for repairs. And we, we finally just pressed forward into getting stuff fixed. And we hired professionals. At least I thought we hired professionals. <laughs> we paid people <laughs> that are supposedly professionals um, to redo our flooring downstairs. And in the process of that, Mistakes were made, and uh, we had about uh, a thick layer of concrete dust over every square inch of the building. And so this was on a Wednesday night, and uh, it, it stressed me out all day Thursday, which was supposed to be, you know, Thanksgiving, a day off, but wound up working here at the church. And uh, I know that that's wrong. I know that uh, probably on every, like, level of, like, should I spend time with my family on Thanksgiving or should I work really hard to try to get the church ready for Sunday? Um, I think practically in most levels that uh, I know the right answer is, you know, that can wait and I can spend time with my family. Um, but I also know that when I'm not leaning into Jesus, I make bad decisions. And uh, if I, I, I've made bad decisions this week. Um, I have not made the best decisions this week, but needless to say, we had concrete dust over everything. I mean, every instrument up into Adam's office upstairs. Uh, if you guys want like a visual illustration, you should look into my office today because uh, <laughs> there's a thick layer of concrete dust over everything, and it's pretty, pretty sad. The, the, the process was supposed to be dustless, and um, it is not as advertised. Uh, <laughs> so we had, uh, instead of finishing the floors this week, we wound up cleaning all day Friday. And I had so many volunteers throughout this week that came and helped, which I was ecstatic for. And so thank you guys, everyone that came out and helped. And 
uh, I cannot believe that we're actually here in the building today. I know I ran into Rhonda and I was like, I don't think we're going to be able to meet on Sunday morning in the church. And can we meet at your house? Uh, she, graciously, she graciously uh, submitted that idea. But we're here, and I'm thankful for that. Um, but has anybody just had weeks where it just seems like everything goes wrong? And there's always this problem. Maybe it's not just weeks. Maybe it just seems like life is constantly in that, uh, in that place of frazzlement. I don't know if frazzlement's a word. I don't think it is, but I just used it. Um, and so as your pastor, as uh, what some might describe as a professional Christian, if you will, I'm just, I'm joking with that, but if I were to put that back on, I know, um, I know the appropriate course of action would have been to pause, to pray, to lay my burden upon the Lord, to regroup, and then just come at things with a fresh mind. That's not what I did. So my message this morning is coming from a place of correction from the Lord for me, but hopefully uh, you can learn uh, rather in preparation rather than repair, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. So rather than doing that, uh, I worked frantically in my own effort to get something to work. And, uh, you know, we're here today, but it's not because I deep cleaned everything. It's because the Lord was gracious and uh, had a solution that I didn't think about. And uh, it worked out. And so uh, I guess I have a question. Has anybody here ever been depressed and maybe just really sad, just having a really bummed day, <laughs> like a, just really bummed out? And then you've got the people that come up and it's like, oh man, don't be sad. They're really well-intentioned. They're really well-meaning. They'll try to come alongside you, and they're trying to think of the right words to say. They'll put an arm around you. It's like, oh, don't be sad. Look at all the things that are there to be happy about. And you just want to, like, punch that person in the face. Has anybody ever had that? Uh, it it <laughs> kind of reminds me, uh, there's a story in Scripture in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus shows up uh, to a funeral, right? And uh, it's this widow... <laughs> And her son, her only son, is being carried out, uh, as, presumably in a casket. I don't know how they actually did that in Israel. But, uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're carrying the body out in a funeral procession. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and the mother is there crying. And he tells the mother, stop crying. Don't weep. If there was ever an appropriate time to cry, I think that would be it. But Jesus, the audacity of that guy... Right, just shows up and tells her, don't cry. And he goes on and he heals the son and raises him from the dead. But uh, I can think of in that moment the thoughts that were probably going through her head. It doesn't exactly translate uh, perfectly well because Jesus did wind up raising the boy from the dead. And uh, I, re I realize that. But there are all these examples in Scripture where there's these kind of explicit commands um, to do something that in my immediate carnal mentality, it's just not ultra helpful. Like Paul tells us, and Jesus also tells us, and this is what we're going to explore today, is to not worry about anything. To don't be anxious. Or, or be anxious in nothing. In, in multiple places throughout Scripture. And uh, I definitely have been on the receiving end of that where I'm really worried about something and somebody just comes along and says, don't worry. It's all going to work out. And I'm like, 
But how? <laughs> that does nothing to actually calm my anxiety. But yet scripture is pretty clear and gives us not just like suggestions, but commands on not to be anxious and to not worry. And so my question is, how do we reconcile some of those things in the real practical areas of life, of everyday life, um, and not wind up in a situation like I wound up in this last week? Does that make sense? And so um, I, I think that hopefully that's something that we can all relate with um, because I, I know that we don't want to struggle with anxiety. We don't want to struggle with worry, especially if Scripture would command us not to. And I believe this, that the, the Word of God and Jesus himself does, does not ask us to do something. He's not fully equipped and prepared or that he's not fully prepared to equip us to do. Does that make sense? I realize I butchered the way I said that. Jesus isn't going to ask us to do something he's not willing to help us actually do. Does that make sense? And so when he says, don't worry, or when scripture tells us, uh, be anxious in nothing, I believe he's fully equipped, prepared, and it's possible to not struggle with that. And I believe that only comes by the gift and the grace of the Holy Spirit. And I think Scripture actually gives us some phenomenal insight into actually what that looks like. So what do we do when we're overwhelmed? What do we do when we're worried and we're anxious and we know we ought not be? Uh, I think we should look to the Scriptures. So we're going to be in Philippians 4 for the most part, for most of the morning. And I, I don't anticipate this being very long, but every time I say that, uh, it seems to be the contrary. But Philippians 4 verses 4 through 9 gives us some really uh, practical advice. If not, e I'm not going to say easy advice because I tend to not listen very well, uh, but it is helpful. It is practical. And I do believe this works. And it says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I know that I don't always feel like rejoicing, but this is the command explicitly here in Scripture. In verse 5, it says, Let your gentleness, gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So very first instruction that we receive here is to rejoice. And it doesn't just say rejoice, but it says rejoice always. So verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Um, some translations will actually say be joyful in the Lord always. Always. Not just when it's convenient, not just when we feel like it, but always. That's a, that's a struggle for me to really wrap my mind around, right? Uh, it's not, it's not something that really kind of connects that I, I, I comprehend very well. But how can, how can Paul give a command like this? 
I really want to understand, like, where does he come from? Who does he think he is that he can just tell us, be joyful in everything, right? Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. And uh, we see in the letter to the Philippians, joy is this kind of central theme. Uh, I counted 11 times where it was hit majorly in different sections throughout uh, this, the four chapters of Philippians. Um, it's kind of, if you had to say there's a central theme to the letter, I think it is the joy of the Lord. Um, and the crazy thing about this is, uh, Paul wrote this while he was imprisoned in Rome. <laughs> he wrote these words while he was in prison. Like, that, that's kind of mind-boggling to me. So it's not like Paul is just, like, living it up because he had, like, some five-star Christian book deal or... Uh, Five-star Christian book deal. What does that even mean? Yeah, there we go. You guys connected with that. Those words didn't come out of my mouth, but uh, he wasn't like sitting in his mansion and, you know, having all of, all of the money and all of the, like, the influence on social media or something like this. He was in prison writing a letter to a church that he struggled to plant, right? And uh, we see this here. Um, we see this command to rejoice in the Lord always. So how can we rejoice when we don't feel like it? Because I can guarantee you there were probably days where Paul did not just, you know, like, oh man, I love being in prison. He had to have the right attitude and mindset um, to really step into this place of rejoicing in the Lord. And I think that happens when we realize that our joy cannot be rooted in the way that we feel. And so we can't just rejoice in the Lord when we feel like it. It has to come from a place that is beyond feeling and into knowledge. And so joy, I wrote this, that joy isn't rooted in feelings, but it's rooted in what and who we know. Joy is not circumstantial. And we must remind ourselves of this because happiness is a fleeting thing. It's based upon circumstance. It's situational. It's based a lot of the times about what we have or what we don't have, of who is present and who is not. Joy, however, is eternal and it's rooted in an unchanging God. I wrote that happiness is sourced from the luxuries and comforts of this world, whereas joy flows from right relationship with God alone. Uh, I, think, uh, I think one of the most helpful things for me in, in kind of thinking about this and thinking about this rejoicing in the Lord always. And uh, uh, even if we were to take it back to two weeks ago when we looked at Paul and Silas in prison where they're singing hymns of praise to God in a completely just really ridiculous circumstance, right? Something that's completely unfair and unjust and I would probably be whining and complaining to God, like, this just isn't right. This just isn't fair. Rather, they're singing praise and they're rejoicing in the Lord. Um, I'm brought back to uh, a chorus that we used to sing a lot of the times. Laura, Laura Hackett would sing it in uh, the prayer room quite often, and she would sing, uh, sometimes you just have to sing your way into the truth. And there have been days where I've just had to put on worship music and just sit before the Lord and sing things to God and sing things about God that I know to be true that I didn't feel in the moment. And I think, 
I think something that is healthy for us is to recognize that we are emotional creatures. And we cannot 100% of the time let our emotions dictate how we uh, respond to the worthiness of God. Okay? Does that make sense? And I, I used to think that, you know, I used to try to preach a way that there had to be this disassociation with, from what we feel. God is very much concerned about what you feel and how you feel. He's an emotional God and he created us as emotional beings. But that doesn't mean that we can always let our emotions dictate our response. Does that make sense? Sometimes it has to be rooted in something deeper than that into the place of what we know. If we move on into verse 5 where it says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Talking about the, the, the return of the Lord uh, being something that is a reality. Um, and because of that, we're to let our gentleness be known to all men. Um, this is one of the things that uh, I know I struggle with. I don't know if, uh, I know Adam and Shelby can at least attest. They've heard me talk to people on customer service calls online, and I have probably not done a great job of doing this uh, in the past, and especially when I'm dealing with people that just don't do their job or do their job correctly um, this is a shortcoming for me. This is actually a place where the Lord has convicted me. And uh, I, looking up this word gentleness, because some translations uh, use forbearing. It's kind of got a, a unique kind of flow to it. And so the actual Greek word here for gentleness is epilakia. And uh, when I was looking this up, uh, I found this definition from David Guzek, and he says this about this word. He says, Epilakia describes the heart of a person who will let the Lord fight his battles. He knows that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's quoting Romans 12 here. And it says, it describes a person who is really free to let go of his anxieties and all of the things that cause him stress because he knows that the Lord will take up his cause. And I just thought that that, was, uh, I thought that that was really beautiful and really interesting in talking about this gentleness. It's talking about this uh, peacefulness that we're to let be expressed and be known by our conduct and by our actions to people because the Lord is present. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand and understanding he is far more capable to handle situations than we are. And so the instruction here as we continue on in Philippians 4 and verse 6 it says be anxious for nothing this is that that kicker of a kind of a phrase this command here that exists is just don't be anxious <laughs> but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God we see there's actually a counterweight here if you will we see this this command of don't be anxious but we get the answer of how not to be anxious, and it's by leaning in to Jesus. It's by going to him in everything with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving that we fight anxiety. And so um, here we go. Being anxious about nothing uh, or being anxious for nothing don't worry about anything. This isn't just a suggestion. It's a command and uh, arguably one that I do a pretty poor job of. Um, and if I have any kind of uh, maybe inkling of, of um, I would probably uh, guess that you guys 
Um, at least someone in here uh, probably struggles with this as well. Jesus kind of makes a, a similar statement, and I hinted at this earlier, but we look in Matthew chapter 6 in his Sermon on the Mount, uh, beginning in verse 25, we see these words of Jesus. And Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Wow, oh, thanks, Jesus. Yeah, okay, I'll just turn that switch off. <laughs> Got it. Or what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will, you, will you put on? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I will say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so we understand there's this command not just from Paul, who is evidently just some kind of freak of nature that uh, can just be perpetually joyful, even when he's in prison. But we go back all the way to Jesus himself that gives us this very clear, explicit command to not be anxious, to not worry, and to trust in God. So how do we do that? And so we see that answer, and I've already kind of alluded, it here, alluded to it here, is that uh, it's in verse 6 where if we're to be anxious for nothing, it requires us in everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, to let our requests be known to God. So we understand it's not just the big things. God cares about the little things as well, right? It says here, in everything. And I believe uh, uh, if we look into the Greek, that word, that, that phrase in everything actually means in everything, um, every little thing, every big thing, we're to take to the Lord in prayer. I think I have this, I think that I have this thought a lot, and I think this is really where um, I was struggling this last week, and not recognizing, uh, I, I kind of chalked up like dealing with concrete dust uh, as a little thing that just wasn't important enough for God to worry about. You know, I feel like, that's probably just something that I need to suck up and I need to figure out. I just need to take care of. But in reality, God wants us to take even the little things to him in prayer. Does that make sense? It's not just the big things. It's not just the cancer diagnosis or, or the looming divorce or something that we need to bombard heaven with. But when we have a sick dog <laughs> or we have an issue at work um, that is causing us anxiety and stress, it's not too little or unimportant of a thing because guess what? God's time isn't divided. His attention isn't divided like ours is. 
He cares deeply and intimately about each and every one of us, and even in the little things that we struggle with on a daily basis. And that's why he's there. You're never going to bore God with your problems. You're never going to burden him with your stresses. He wants us to actually come to him in the little things and in the big things as well. And so we look at there, how are we to come with everything? By prayer and supplication. Last week, Adam preached this awesome message on listening to God in prayer, and I thought it was great. Um, And a lot of the times we talk about prayer. Um, Prayer is not just asking God for things. Prayer is kind of this, um, maybe even if I were to say, uh, comprehensive language that we use for our communication with God, for us listening to God in prayer, for us just conversating with God. That's talking with God, I think, is a great, um, great definition for what it looks like to pray. But a lot of the times we kind of confuse those things. Supplication is when we actually ask God for help. When we actually ask God to do something. We actually ask God for something intentionally and specifically. How many of you here are really bad at asking for help? Is it just me? That's me. I, I really just, I, I feel like I'm a massive inconvenience and I feel like I'm burdening people and they just are going to hate me if I ask them for help. Um, and sometimes I project that onto God. Um, and I feel like I, I just have to take care of my own issues. I just have to take care of my own problems. And I've got to see this through um, because I probably caused most of them. And I just need to do my penance and, and get it figured out. And the reality of it is, is that God doesn't work that way. He wants us to come to him, and he loves when we ask for help, and he loves actually answering those requests for help, believe it or not. Wow, that's crazy, right? Um, Who would have ever thought? Um, But that is a real and present reality. Um, We need both of them. If our relationship with God only ever looks like us asking him for stuff all the time, something's off. (laughs) If we're never just wanting to spend time with him, to just spend time with him or just talk to him, to talk to him. One of my biggest pet peeves is when people call me and I know, because I get phone calls from certain people and I know that there's going to be some kind of request at the end of it. Does anybody ever have those? Or maybe, maybe uh, you've had people that reach out to you from way back when, from like 20 years ago, and you know the only reason why they're talking to you is because they have like a multi-level marketing pitch that they want to send you. And you're like, just get it out. Just, just get to it because we don't talk in everyday life, right? Just tell me what you want. Tell me what you need and I'll tell you no and then we can go on with our lives. Um, but I think a lot of the times our relationships with God can be that way. They can be heavily one-sided. Uh, for me, I feel like I struggle to ask God for help sometimes and I, I forget that he actually wants to help. Um, and I, I, have, uh, I have a flawed thought process that the Lord is bringing me through. But I know other people that the only time they ever actually think of God and talk with him is when they need something from him. And we actually need both of those things. We need to have an ongoing relationship with him. And we need to not be afraid to ask him for help because he actually wants to do it. I realize that's kind of a weird thing to think about. but um, And the attitude in which we're to approach that is in thanksgiving. And this is kind of a, I feel like 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 really is kind of a companion piece to this. Uh, it says, 
essentially some of the same things that Paul is saying here, just in a different way. But uh, he says again, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus for you. And uh, we see again this, this mentality of coming to the Lord in prayer, rejoicing, being joyful always, but give thanks in every circumstance. That's a thing that's hard, right? We don't always want to give thanks to the Lord uh, because we don't always see things through the lens that he sees them, and it can be difficult, but we're to be thankful um, when we approach God. And that's something that we can only do through the help of his Holy Spirit. But the promise of all of this, the promise is if we pause to pray in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of stress, is a promise of peace. If we continue on in verse 7, it says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I often refer to this peace as the peace that just doesn't make sense. I pray that over people um, because it's something... That is, uh, it's something that is uncomprehensible uh, through the carnal mind. But it isn't just senseless. Uh, I want to be clear about that. I believe this is a peace that cannot be reasoned or explained, but it can be experienced. It's one of those things that I, I can't describe to you. I can't do a good enough job of defining it, of explaining it to you, because I believe it is a, a peace that surpasses that kind of understanding, but it is a peace that can be experienced. And I know that because I've been there. I've been in, in the place of trauma. I've been in the place of loss. I've been in the place uh, of just tumultuous life where it doesn't make any sense. And I've had the comfort and the promise of the Holy Spirit and have walked in his peace. And that's why I know it's something that he promises and something that you can experience. But it is something that just doesn't make carnal sense. But this is the promise that we receive, that if we take to him uh, our stresses, our cares, our anxieties, our big problems, our little problems, to him in prayer, he promises to give us the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And in doing so, he promises us protection. We see this, this language here, the, the guarding of the heart and of the mind in Christ Jesus. I don't know, uh, I hung out with Adam and Shelby on Wednesday night, and when I first showed up, I was like loopy. I felt like I had lost my mind. I was not coherent. I wasn't present. I just was in la-la land. Uh, if, I was, if I'm being very vulnerable here. And I felt like I was losing my mind this week. And I believe that was because I was not operating in the peace of God. I believe because I had done a poor job of actually recognizing the need for me to get into his presence rather than the need to just get to work. And I think a lot of people make the same mistake where we're quick to get into the work. We might look at our long list of things that we have to do. We've got a long list of things that just need our attention. And prayer and time in the Word and time with the Lord somehow gets pushed to the bottom of the list because we have all of these things that vie for our attention. Can I tell you, my productivity has always suffered when I've pushed God to the back burner. And, you know, I, I can't think of the quote or even who said it, and so I'm going to butcher it all. But I, I remember someone sharing somewhat the sentiment 
of, uh, it's not that I don't have, uh, a lot of the times I come to the Lord with thinking I don't have time to pray, but in reality, I don't have time not to. Um, and obviously, you guys might be familiar with that, but the, the thing is, uh, I can't imagine what my week would have looked like differently, how much easier the burden and the load would have been to carry, um, and the attitude I would have had in doing stuff. Sure, maybe not all the drywall would have got hung, and maybe the plumbing wouldn't have gotten finished, and, and those things, um, but none of that is worth the cost of me just losing out on the peace of God in my life. Does that make sense? And so I really, I'm preaching to myself here. I, I recognize that. So when you see me this next week and ask me how I'm doing, just call me out and say, are you doing okay? <laughs> but the, the reality of it is, is uh, he promises us peace and he promises to guard our heart and our mind. If you want to not lose your mind to the chaos and the anxiety and the stresses of this world, I believe the only way to do that is the peace of God, which he promises to give to us if we would come to him in prayer and thanksgiving. Things, things I know. These are things I know if I were to take a test. They're hard to implement, right? I believe these are things that you would know if somebody were just to ask you point blank, well, what should you be doing? But it doesn't always, doesn't always equate that way in everyday life. I'm quick to realize that. And that's why I think uh, verses 8 and 9 are super helpful. Because it's, if we're going back to this, I, I think there's this important aspect of meditating on the things of the Lord that helps us actually do this when it's necessary. It says, Brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Friends, I believe it's important to fix our mind intentionally on these things, particularly the Word of God. But what do we actually wind up giving our attention to most of the time? We're scrolling on our phones checking out Facebook, you know, listening to music or watching some TV show or scrolling the internet. If you're me, you're trying to find good deals on home improvement stuff right now. And it's not necessarily these things that Scripture instructs us to fixate our minds on, to meditate on. I, I, used, to, I used to have this kind of pretty, like, strict, almost like, methodology to whether or not I would listen to or watch something. And uh, I believe that the Lord uh, leads and is, is gracious. And I'm not trying to, to be legalistic here in any sense. But a question that has served extremely helpful for me over the years uh, when it comes to media or when it comes to just doing something, I like to ask the Lord, is this going to bring me closer to you? Is this going to strengthen my relationship with you? Because if it's not, I know that it's going to hinder. It's going to trip me up. It's going to, it's going to be something that isn't going to push me closer to you. And, and I, that, that breaks down at some point. You know, is this Subway sandwich going to bring me closer to you? Or it's going to push me away from you? I, probably push you away from, I, I don't know. I'm joking there. But yeah, there we go. Oh, 
Oh, yeah, if I don't eat anymore. There you go. Thanks, Shelby, for that. But I think it is something that we could be more intentional with about our time and especially about our entertainment. Leonard Ravenhill would always say this, and it's a quote that stuck with me for a long time. He would, t- he would say that entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. And I think a lot of the times I, I'm guilty of that. I, I'd rather just plop down in front of the TV and just turn something on rather than open the Bible and actually spend time with the Lord because I'm tired, I'm exhausted. And rather than actually being strengthened and rather than being uplifted and, and actually uh, building up my spirit man, I'd rather just kind of glaze on by in neutral because I don't want to put in the work. And it's this dangerous cycle that I believe the Lord definitely wants to break us out of. And the only way to do that is to practice. Verse 9 says, These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. This, this Paul guy is intense, right? He's saying, imitate me as I follow Christ, right? Follow me like I follow Christ. <laughs> he says, these do and the God of peace will be with you. I like the NASB in this particular verse, because it says, as for these things you've learned and heard and have seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And so when he's talking about these things that are pure, these things that are noble, these things that are praiseworthy, he's talking about things and attributes that he's modeled in his own life as an example for the Philippians to follow. And so with that being said, I, I felt like it might be best this morning to simply put these things into practice. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.